This is The Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. And now a word from our sponsors. (laughs) Oh man, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is Brad Hill, and I just wanted to uh, give a quick caveat to the this recording. We're so uh, excited to share with you our conversation with Andrew Peterson. Um, we were mercy to our internet connection, or rather he was. Uh, he joined us from Oxford, England. And so there are a couple of places where um, the signal gets uh, a little weak and a little wonky, if you will, if I can use that word. Um, but bear with us. It's a conversation worth listening to. You won't want to miss the things that he has to say. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome to the Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and uh, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Brian Gill. And we are very excited today to be joined by Andrew Peterson, uh, singer, songwriter, and author. Um, our family and Brian's family, I know, have both enjoyed the Wing Feather Saga, and both Brian and I have read and enjoyed Adoring the Dark and and recently uh, really enjoyed uh, your newest book, which we look forward to getting to talk about. But one thing that's also impacted us is in 2008, driven by a desire to cultivate a strong Christian arts community, you founded a ministry called The Rabbit Room, uh, which led to a yearly conference that we both enjoyed, countless concerts, symposiums, The Rabbit Room Press, which has published a whole bunch of books. It's incredible. Been married for 24 years to your wife, Jamie. When you have three children, your eldest is, a, is an animation student at Lipscomb University, uh, your second son, a touring drummer, record producer, and your daughter just recently released her first album. Man, that's incredible. And uh, I love that in your spare time, you mentioned that you sleep. Um, we, we appreciate good, nothing like some good, good rest. Uh, but it keeps bees, keep bees, and you build stone stacked walls and gardens, and you draw a good bit. You, you're, you're a renaissance man, brother, but we're so thankful that uh, you've joined us uh, joined us today on The Story Outdoors. Glad to be with you guys. It's funny that that uh, the bio that I guess my people would have sent you is two years out of date. So it's now 26 years I've been married, and my oldest nice. son is... My oldest son is a graduate and got married last summer. My second son is still producing records and drumming and got married also last summer. And my daughter just started at university. So yeah, in those short wow. two years, we've had some, some huge life changes, uh, which that's is pretty awesome. awesome. So that's part of the reason we're, we're out of the country right now is this is our, our, our empty nester celebration. We're just kind of <laughs> made it out of the woods and, uh, and we're out, out here hanging out. So man, that's awesome. A lot can happen in two years. Yes, no it's amazing, kind of amazing. And speaking of two years, we uh, in, in 2019, uh, we were at Hutchmoot together. Brad and I were, and um, and that was, uh, man, what a what a fun experience uh, there in Nashville. And and actually, that was kind of the birthplace of our idea uh, to do something creative together, Brad and Brad and oh, myself. Yeah. And so. From that, we, you know, we went on a fishing trip with that later, yeah, later that awesome. next year, and and then it's just a, it kind of snowballed into what it is now. We're in season three now here with the Stored Outdoors podcast. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So twenty nineteen, who was the keynote speaker that year? Do you remember Carolyn? Would that have been that was Carolyn Aaron? Yeah. So, okay. Carolyn. Yeah. Oh, she's so great, man. Um, 
I so I guess that means that was the last in person Hutch moot. It was. That's I'm still right. sitting That's on my right. tickets Absolutely. for 2020. Okay, good. Uh, I we're so good for next year, man. Uh, me too. Hold on. To yeah, uh, I'm holding on to them, man, like a, like a golden ticket, man. Just waiting to go see what's uh, what's in store. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. she may she may have been the keynote speaker, but I think possibly the highlight for me was uh, sitting sitting down by the Harper River with a few guys, and one of them being your dad, Mr. Art, and uh, and it was a great uh, great time. And actually, he and I over since then have exchanged emails. Oh, um, and that me, I mean, I, he's a you know. He was pastor, obviously a pastor, and uh, and I'm a pastor, and to get to ask him pastoral questions and yeah. you know how did you handle things over the years has been a has been a treasure. So she may have been the keynote, but he, she he was my highlight for me. Yeah, so it's cool. been a real treasure, real treasure. Did you guys uh, smoke pipes down by the river? Or I bet he was. We yeah. did, yes. Oh no, 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 we we did, we did, <laughs> yeah, we did. We won't Maybe. tell anybody though. So Andrew, uh, the God of the Garden. That's that's your latest book coming out, and, and you know, like Brad said, we we both enjoyed adorning the dark. I've I've taken a couple of groups of men at my church through that book, and um, just really was uh, was a fantastic mm. read. Um, anybody who is any has any inkling to be a, a creative, or even if you're not, you can appreciate this book. And um, but man, I'm I'm really looking forward to this this one. It seems. I don't know. Is it is it supposed to be a follow up? Is it is it a a continuation of that same conversation? You know why why gardens? You know what what? Are, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. It, it's it's still hard for me to figure out how to talk about it exactly because in many ways it's similar. Um, but yeah, when it, in early twenty twenty when I, when I got kind of all of my tutoring for the year fell apart, obviously. Um, and I was home kind of like, uh, loving being home because I, I really, uh, light up when I'm there and have been aching to have some kind of a sabbatical for years and years and, uh, to really have a reason to stay put. Um, and so to be kind of forced into it was the only way it was ever going to happen, I think. And so, uh, I found myself, I think I was three weeks into, into the lockdown in March, I realized that I'd spent more nights consecutively in my own bed than in 20 years. Wow. Um, and so that was, that was, my body was actually reacting. Like I couldn't stop sleeping. Um, and I think I had just been moving so constantly for so long that being, being still was just this like, ironically a wake up call. I couldn't stop sleeping. So, um, anyway, I, uh, I, I, not long after that, my editor, uh, at, uh, Broadman and Holman who published, uh, adorning the dark, they were like, Hey, I know you're grounded for the year. Do you want to write a book, another book to kind of follow up adorning the dark? And, uh, I said, yes, very nervously because I didn't yet know what the book was going to be about. And he's the one who suggested, Hey, I know that a lot of people have really resonated with the chapter in adorning the dark about, uh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to mute that, uh, about, um, people have resonated with a chapter about, um, the building of the stone arch and the garden and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it was, he was right. It was interesting of all of the chapters in that book that I get mm -hmm. asked about. That's the one that people seem to resonate with the most. So I kind of like sank into that idea a little bit like, okay, what is it that people are interested in? What if I were to start writing about place and paying attention to the created world and like what, 
what God has to say to us about his creation, about himself through his creation. And, uh, and so trees became the kind of the framework that I ended up using because I love trees and I've always loved trees and I've been fascinated by them since I was a little kid. And I was like, I realized that I had been reading a lot of books about trees, um, and started uh, digging in and over the over the 15 I think years that we've lived at the Warren where we live uh, I've planted I think 48 trees of many different species and uh, and really was like what would happen if I started writing about mm-hmm. trees that I remember um, and so that so that's one one angle of the story the other angle was that I listened to the Bible Project podcast um, I love those guys and they have a 10 episode podcast series called tree of life did you guys listen to that it's amazing like digs into like yeah the theme mm-hmm. of trees in scripture and the you know they point out that one, one of the things tim says is that there is no better candidate for a scriptural theme than trees like it it starts in the garden with trees ends with the tree in revelation the the cross was an axe called a tree there's this tree motif that shows sure. up again and again. And one of the cool things is that in Genesis, like the, uh, the, in the creation account, there's this um, interesting correlation between, you know, God plant, putting, making trees and, and they bear fruit. And then God makes people and he says, bear fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's this thing that happens in scripture where it's like, you know, Psalm one starts with, you know, uh, like a tree planted by waters, you know, so is a man who, uh, I always get the verse mixed up, but the, but the point is trees. There's a lot to learn about the Lord from paying attention to trees and the way they grow and how they work. And so it started like that. And by the time I was finished with the book, I had written a whole bunch of memories of trees and they all involved me encountering the presence of God in one way or another. And, um, it gets pretty heavy. There's a fair bit about, you know, a couple seasons of real, uh, depression and, uh, uh yeah just like looking up and realizing that jesus also mm-hmm. went to an olive grove to pray you know the, the he was taken and uh and so uh there's a little bit of a corollary there so it's just a memoir about trees and uh, but mainly it's about the yeah. abiding presence of god when i read the bit um you you quote from uh the wonderful life and the guy yells out my grandfather planted that tree it, it really resonated with me, like yeah. knowing history and being tied to t- tied to place, like you talked about earlier. Uh, perhaps maybe one of my favorite Petersons. No, uh, no offense, Eugene Peterson, the pastor, uh, in his book, the pastor talks about his home in Montana as his place. He says, "Place, not just any place, not just any location, marked on a road or a map, but on a topo or a topographic map with named mountains and rivers, identified wildflowers and forests, elevations." Uh, above sea level and and annual rainfall i do all my work on this ground peterson says and i don't levitate <laughs> I'm, I'm connected to this ground surely the lord is in this place and i didn't know it um and so he wanted to get to know that place why why is place so it was really evident in this book that place and what you're saying is so important um why is place so important to you well i i know for me part of the reason it's important is because i i grew up feeling very placeless um Mm. uh because my dad was a pastor um we lived in the church parsonage in the house that i first lived in it's a house that we didn't own 
we moved when I was seven, ended up in another church parsonage for all of my, you know, junior high and high school years. Um, wasn't, they didn't buy their place until after we left. And, you know, of course, then I got married and bounced around from apartment to apartment. So I, I've always felt displaced. I've always felt like I didn't, I was envious of people who are from a place and knew that they were from a place because their parents and their parents were from, Yes, a place. you know what I mean? Uh, and you guys have mm-hmm. these wonderful accents. Uh, like you sound like you're from a place, right? Are you both Alabama natives? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, born and bred. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. And, and like, I'm a big Drew Holcomb fan. He sings that song about Tennessee. Uh, I was born here and raised here. I'll make my grave here. It's home, Tennessee. I've lived in Tennessee for 26 years now, and I still don't feel the kinship that he's talking about because mm-hmm. I'm not from here. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I wasn't born here. I came here as a transplant. It's more home than I've ever known, but it's still not, it's still like I'm, I'm deciding that it's my home. You know what I mean? It wasn't like mm-hmm. it was given to me. Um, and so I've, I'm, I've always carried around this like weird little, uh, you're kind of like a, a pebble in your shoe of homesickness. Like I just feel it all the time. And, um, and so that's part of the reason I, I, you know, love the UK. I love going to Sweden. I've traveled my whole life. Um, everywhere I go, I'm like, is this it? Is this my true home? You know, is this the place where I'm going to really find that, you know, that kinship that I've been looking for? And the truth is no, like I'll never, I'll never find it. I need to be. So a lot of the book is about learning to be content with what you've been given. There's this great poem uh, by Jeannie Murray Walker. I need to memorize it because it's, it's beautiful, but I think it's called, um, doesn't matter. It's about Adam. She's imagining Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. And Adam, it's you're in Adam's head and he's a little annoyed by Eve. He doesn't really like what she called the, the name she chose for like the giraffe, whatever. He's just kind of like, thinking about things he doesn't really like about her. And then a storm comes and he sees her running towards him and she's beautiful. And it says something like he, he begins the long work of learning to love what he's been given. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, what a beautiful picture of what a marriage is. What a beautiful picture of community. Um, uh, you know, George McDonald, I just read a quote a few minutes ago where he said, he was like, you don't get to choose your neighbors. Like your neighbor is whoever happens to be with you. And, and, uh, and so I, I think that like when it comes to where I live, one of the most difficult, uh, sanctifying processes that I've been through is learning to just be still, just like look around at what you've been given, learn to love it. And I, I still have a hard time. Like I don't like mosquitoes or ticks or you know, July and August in Tennessee. Uh, I just have a hard time with it, but it's what I've been given. And so uh, the book is me wrestling with that a little bit too. And I think, you know, like I remember Rich Mullen saying that, that you should learn the names of the trees on your street. And, uh, and so I started doing that, you know, years ago at the Warren, uh, I wanted to learn the name. I wanted to be able to say what every tree was on our property and it worked. It was amazing. Like now when I look out the window, I mentioned this in the book, I don't just see a tangle of leaves. I see an ash tree and yeah. a hackberry and I see That's right. you know, a white oak and all of a sudden you're able to love it because it has a name. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about um, earlier, you had your, um, you called your, your the place where you live, the Warren. Yeah. And, um, and, and you, you planted all those trees and you've got a beautiful garden. You know, we got to know, um, James and Julie Whitmer through, um, Hutch mood. And James has been on our, on the podcast before and 
talking about his books that he's written and um you know but you've got something special going on at the warren man what and so why why the warren and and why why naming it that and you you, you know giving a house a name is something that's foreign to something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very common over here in the UK. Almost, it's one of the really fun things about walking through these villages over here is that every cottage has a name, like, and the addresses are the name of the thing. Like, yeah. like I had to have Amazon ship something to where, to the Airbnb that we're staying and there's no house number. It's just called the coach house. <laughs> and so, so the oh guy was like, come here and find the coach house. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Um, and so, I love that idea because it changes, like I said, naming is a way of learning to love something. Right. And so once we finally moved to a place that I was like, I think we need to decide that this is going to be the place we're passing on to our children and maybe to their children, what the name should be. I was reading a book called Watership Down to Rabbits that are on this quest to find a new home and a rabbit, a, a, a you know, a bunch of tunnels that rabbits have is called a, a rabbit warren. And, uh, and so I named the house that, um, the property really that, uh, and then, uh, I, th- I, I had another thought about the naming thing. The, uh, anyway, it's, it's a way of learning to love. And I think that it was just like, uh, oh, I remember what I was going to say. One of the cool things about one, once again, I, I show my like Anglophile card pretty hard in, in this new book, uh, because I'm trying to get to the bottom of what is it about this place in the UK that really lights me up? And why don't I feel that same thing when I'm in the States? And and the trick is I used to think that it was prettier here. I don't think that anymore. Like I really believe that there are places in Alabama and Tennessee that are just as beautiful as the British Isles. Just as, and you guys, I can see you nodding. You've been in places, if you guys are fishermen, you've been in places that are just brimming with the beauty of the Lord. Um, I think part of the difference is there's so much history here that the hills have names, right? Like when I look out my window in Nashville, there's this beautiful rise of hills kind of between us and this downtown Nashville. As far as I know, there's, yeah. they're not named anything yeah. like, like I can't look at that and be like, Oh, Jamie, did you notice that the, you know, the Johnny cash Hills were on fire with awesome this evening like they're just not named anything and, and i think it's because we're just kind of a younger country uh but there's something about it makes you feel like you're living in a storybook right <laughs> as soon as you start naming things like now there's a story that can attach itself to the place um and so in right. cane ridge which is the part of nashville that we live in uh me and my neighbors have kind of like begun writing poetry about our little valley and our humble little creek that comes through the valley uh, but it's full of washing machines and, and people's trash. Uh, but we're trying to like reclaim, re-sanctify what God has given us, right? And to give it a story. And once it has a story, maybe the people who come after us will learn to love it a little bit better because we named it and kind of said, you know what, this this is where the story of our lives is going to live out for a time. Gosh, I love that, man. Yeah, you said, uh, I love something that you said, uh, naming helps us to see, right? Um, why was it important for you throughout the book to not just name the trees, as, but to also have these Latin names? What, what, what was uh, the catalyst for, for that? You had, I was like, I loved it. I was like, man, we, we're getting deep into the names of these trees. In fact, in fact, earlier uh, this year, uh, I read, uh, what was the name of that? The, uh, the Hidden Life of Trees. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, the German Peter Wollenbin. Uh, it was really, I really enjoyed that book. And, 
And so it, it resonated with me. I was like, I want to know the names of these trees too. And, um, and so why was that important for you to have like these Latin names? Whose idea was that? Uh, I think it was because in the very beginning of the project, I thought it was going to be a book that was very specifically about trees. And then the more I wrote, the more I realized that um, I think I sent a first draft to a few friends and this consensus was, I don't think this book is as much about trees as you think it is. Um, because really it ends up, trees are, like I said, the framework, but it ends up being a book about yeah. uh, kind of a memoir about some tough stuff in my life. Um, trees are just like always there yeah. kind of in the background. Um, and, but I think again, it gets down to the spe specificity of the whole thing. Like it, it's not just yeah. uh, a maple tree that I planted. It was a certain species of maple tree that I planted in the front yard. And that's a, it's an attempt to kind of drive home the fact that like these little things matter. Like, um, we're, we're not talking in general generalities. I, I wanted to drill down into the specifics, not just of the names of the trees, but uh, like the street that I was on where this or that happened. Um, right. we just finished, my wife and I just finished a book called, uh, a severe mercy, um, which is just gut wrenching, beautiful book, um, about a, a guy who was friends with CS Lewis and, um, they're Americans, but they spent, the guy became a Christian here in Oxford. And the memoir is kind of about the love story between he and his wife and how Jesus broke through that. And uh, it's so cool to me that while I'm reading this story, he was very specific about the streets that he walked and like the pubs that he went to with his wife. And, and so we can kind of retrace their steps and go, oh, wow, oh, wow. Oh, wow. this is fun this, where this or that happened. That's part of why like the Eagle and Child pub is so famous is because Oh, this is where Lewis and Tolkien used to do this stuff. So again, it's, it's the oh, specificity yeah. gives it a story. Um, and, uh, so I'll probably be drilling down into that for the rest of my life. That works with songwriting too. Sorry. I'm just kind of rambling here, but, yeah. but I, one of the things I tell young no. songwriters and I talk about this in adorning the dark is that like, um, it, you can talk about things in theoretical terms and it'll kind of like just go past people. And my hunch is that's how sermons work too. Uh, you, as long as everything's kind of up here in the ether and you're, you're like exegeting a passage, it's like, cool. Okay. I assent to what you're saying. Um, but as soon as you ground it and you anchor it to a story, some specific pain or joy in your own life and where it happened and how, man, the air in the room changes when you're telling that story, you can feel the audience begin to listen. Like our hearts were wired for that. And so, uh, so in your songwriting, as soon as I start feeling like I'm getting a little bit esoteric, I, I think, you know what, where was I when this happened? Oh, I was on this street. And then you put the street name in the song or the person's name in the song. And all of a sudden the listener knows, oh, you're not just, this isn't just theoretical. This is actually, you're not levitating. Like yeah. you said, like Eugene said, you're actually touching the earth again. Um, so yeah, anyway, yeah. That, that, those are my thoughts on that. Oh, I love that. I mean, I think like, learning for me pastorally like learning my people's names right yeah um is so important to know to know and remember people's names because i mean that's what the rest of language is tied to those names right whether it's a person's name or a house's name um and it has meaning because it's attached to those so it's grounded right is what you're saying so it's grounded in this place we aren't levitated but it's grounded and so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, and it makes me, you know, growing up where I grew up was a small town uh, called Monroeville, Alabama, which is the home of To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And, uh, but it was very much in the country and the lumber industry or the, the timber industry was a big deal where I grew up. 
And so in our high school, we, you could take, instead of shop, you could take forestry class. Mm -hmm. And so another reason uh, it gave me flashbacks of having to memorize all those, those tree names, you know, because that was part of, you know, part of what we did. So when we walk through the woods, you need to know what, which trees, which tree and what, what does it produce and what, you know, what kind of wood would it make and so forth and so on. So I love looking through trees and and my parents would always say, boy, if that tree could talk, Mm -hmm. it could tell some stories. And that was, that was said all the time. Yeah when we'd see some giant, you know, giant live oak tree, huge oak tree. And I live in Mobile now, which the streets are lined with these huge, the, the Southern Oak oh, I love oaks that are, you know, they're just leaning over the roads, right? And they're gorgeous, covered in the moss. And, you know, and I always think that, boy, if those trees could talk, I bet they could tell some tales because they're ancient. Yeah. And so I love those, I love those names. You you said earlier that it got heavy. It it did get heavy. Like there was almost a couple of times when it was almost suspenseful uh, for me. I was like, "What's what's he about to share with us?" And so I don't I'm, I don't want to like totally spoil it, you know, uh, for the for the readers. I, I I do say like, man, get it and read it because I really enjoyed it. Um, what was that like um, for you to? man, to open yourself up the way that you did without giving away too much. Cause we obviously went on to give it all away. We want people to read the book, but you did open yourself up very personally. Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of fair bit of practice with it as a songwriter. Um, but it's, it's way more explicit in a, in a memoir. Um, I was super nervous mm-hmm. when adorning the dark came out because I just, I'd never sp- spoken as frankly about, what goes on up in here and in here, you know? Um, and so I was mm-hmm. scared and this, this to my shock, like as I began writing the book, I kept the story kept wanting to go, uh, you know, as I was writing about trees, I was like, Oh yeah, there's this other thing that happened and it's, it is a way. And I, do I write about that? I guess I do. I've got to like to take a deep, take the plunge. Um, and so I, the book isn't out yet as of this recording. I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, I have, I am to be frank, quite terrified of the book coming out because I feel like it was, a, you know, it's not like a tell all, but it does go to some places that I didn't expect it to go. And I, and, and my right. deepest hope is that, like I said, in the other book that I, the hope is that not that I will bleed all over the audience, but that it will help somebody feel less alone or it'll, uh, ultimately draw yes. my attention to the presence of Christ in those moments, you know, yes. uh, that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, I, I really appreciate that angle and, you know, the vulnerability that, that you're going to be um, sharing with everybody. You know, I think, I think the world needs more of that rather than the, the constant facade that we all tend to put up uh, over and over again. You know, it seems like, um, when whenever I show vulnerability, someone else feels freer to reciprocate that, and yeah. um, you know I think that that's needed. You know, especially with in a world of toxic masculinity, you know, having men be vulnerable and say, "Look, you know, this is things aren't great," yeah, or things were not great during that season. You know, yeah. being able to say, "You know, I'm not strong enough. That's why I need Christ." That's that's the whole point. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I think people will resonate with that. I, I'm, I'm really excited that when it gets out into the world and this will, this, this episode will air after its release. And so uh, people will be able to get it. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's gonna be that's gonna be fantastic, man. And and oh. the, I have a, uh, a a group of men awaiting its uh, arrival so that we can go through another group uh, group study of it. That's awesome. That's nice. awesome. Um, that's you good. brought up uh, Andrew. You brought up. Uh, have you ever considered the fact that there were beekeepers in Galilee? Uh, honey's mentioned. I didn't realize this, but I appreciated this. Sixty-one times, honey's mentioned in scripture. Um, and then you talk about the apostles broiling fish and honey and, uh, and then you, I know you keep bees. Um, what's a total side, a little bit of a side story from adorning the dark. What, what are some things that you observations from keeping bees that, and, uh, and then if somebody wanted to start keeping bees, uh, give us a little, uh, a glimpse into that really quickly. Oh, man. Well, you're throwing me into the briar patch. One of the, one thing I've learned about, uh, beekeepers <laughs> is that, is that once they start talking about it, they don't stop talking about it. They uh, love talking about it. Oh man! Yeah. Was, I think that. Well, you're like, talking to a couple. Of, <laughs> you're talking to a couple of fly fishermen, and so oh, yes. we're, we're very similar in that. So. <laughs> no, I, it is endlessly interesting to me. I'm kind of a lazy beekeeper, is what they call us. Um, so there are guys that I know that are really nerdy about it. They, you know, every week, sometimes more often, they'll put on the, their suit and get in there and mess with it. And, uh, I, and I think that that's what you would need to do in order to maximize honey production. Like there's a lot of tricks, you know, you can, you can do, I'm not trying to sell the honey. I'm, I, I think last year I got 50 pounds, which is like one five gallon bucket of honey. Um, and that's a lot of honey. It's, it ends up being just enough for us to eat as much as we want and to give a bunch away to friends and family, you know, and then about the time, about the time we run out, it's, the next summer and we need to harvest some more. Yeah, that's awesome. So the, the funny thing is the weather didn't cooperate and I wasn't able to harvest this year. So I have two hives right now and they are, they were doing great. Um, uh, and I just, we had to leave to come here before I got to it. And so the, the, that's the nice thing about being a lazy beekeeper is that they know what they're doing. And uh, I don't, yeah. I'm just going to trust that it's going to work out. So, uh, so that's one, one thing I would say, but my, I'll tell you the, <laughs> I may have told, told you or you may have heard this story before, but the moment that I knew that I loved beekeeping was, there's been a few, but one of the big ones was when I first harvested my first batch of honey uh, and my bee mentor, uh, you know, you got, you kind of got to have a guy who's been doing it for years to kind of show you YouTube will only get you so far, you know? I think fishing is the same way. I'm sure like yeah. you can kind of learn how to do it, but like until like somebody's actually touching yeah. something and you're feeling it and you're in the world, yeah. you, you need some help. And so, uh, my, I was over at his house. He had all the equipment. I had gotten my frames and he was showing me how to, you know, cut the cap off the honey and we're spinning it. And he was like, taste it. And I was like, can I really taste it? And he was like, yeah. So for a year I'd been waiting for this moment to like actually like taste this honey that had been gathered in my front yard and uh and there was honeycomb you know actually put the whole comb in your mouth and you like suck the honey out of it chunk of beeswax that it's bashing with this sweetness he quoted the psalm that says you know your law o lord is like honey from the comb and at which point you realize that king david what this tastes like like this very experience is something that is ancient and for thousands of years yeah. you know so um, Jesus I'm sure, knows what it's like to pop the honeycomb in his mouth and suck the honeycomb. And, and further than that, like the law of the Lord, the will of God was in the psalmist's mind when he 
he correlated those two things. I don't usually think of the mm-hmm. law of the Lord as a sweet thing. It's more of a burden. Uh, but it kind of changed the way I thought about it. I was like, oh, man, to think Hello. to think sweet love that. of God's law. So I just loved the fact that in that moment I felt connected to King David um, in a way that I'd never felt connected to him before. So I was like, all right, I'm in. I love um, it. Oh, my father-in-law, he has, he, he's quite the beekeeper. He has, man. He has 30, I think, uh, 30 not guys. a lazy I mean, beekeeper. Just, he's he's <laughs> in it all the time. He's retired and he had to retire so that he could do his beekeeping. <laughs> now he's he definitely is in it every day. And, uh, I just found out. So I, Andrew, I work at Sanford university and, um, I just found out there are beekeepers on campus and they have local honey from the health sciences. And so I just bought two, uh, two jars. uh, That is so cool. That is so cool. You guys are destined for it. I can tell you're going to be beekeepers before this is over. Yeah. Hey, just so you know, I've got in my Amazon wish list like the starter (laughs) kit. So, and that was before I read this book or had this conversation. So (laughs) that's great. Um, Normally, normally one of the things we ask Andrew is, uh, for us, uh, so we, we open up this podcast and we say it's a podcast somewhere vaguely between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark. We just like stories and adventure, right? Hmm. And, uh, we want to find clarity in the stories we tell in the adventures that shape us. And that's what these conversations are about. So obviously, um, you've, we, we always close this conversation with, uh, what's your next adventure, but rather than that, I want to hear maybe a brief story about your recent adventure, your trek. Uh, this it, it seemed like incredible um, on this yeah. the wall, right? So a little bit about that, and how do how do I pronounce that name correctly? Um, and, and 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 what? Because yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. It looked awesome. Yeah, man, it, it's it's Hadrian. Uh, Hadrian was like in a uh, Roman emperor in the early like in. 180 or something like that. I forget, but almost 2000 years ago, it's funny. Like if you don't, if you're not from uh, the UK, you kind of, it's hard to get your head around the fact that like the Romans were here 2000 years ago. So like, you know, in Jesus's day, the Romans would have known about England um, and London was beginning to be founded at that point, you know? Um, And so there's all these Roman walls and ruins here. And on top of that is, you know, the Roman baths. Yeah. I've visited the Roman baths before. Totally. Yeah. There's all this cool stuff, but just the layers of history here are just too much for the brain to even get a hold of. Um, but I, one of the things I love about, um, Britain is this whole footpath culture that they have here. Like, um, I, that's one of the reasons I think that we don't think of Alabama and Tennessee as as beautiful is because we can't walk across it. Uh, because in, in the States you'd get shot by the local farmer or landowner, you know, uh, they wouldn't abide just Farm, farmer maggots, the farmer, the farmer maggots totally. are all over the place. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and it kills me because I'm like, oh man, I, we only ever get to see Tennessee from the highway, you know, or a state park. But here it's like, you can walk, walk through, literally today, Jane and I walked through a field of alpacas, um, because it was like that's where the footpath went and we just walked through and so nice. you just cross people and the farmer will be out there and he's like how's it going good how are you and you just cross his field um and so i i love that idea and there are lots of these like long you can like pick a footpath and long long walks that you can do here but hadrian's wall was a 2000 almost 2000 year old wall that divided what is now scotland and england in the south so it was like the barbarians all lived up north 
and they built this wall to kind of protect yeah. Roman territory. And it's, you know, all these years later, there are big chunks of the wall that are still there. And you can walk, um, we walked wow. 70, 70 miles, I guess. And it, let me tell you, I am no backpacker. Um, I don't know how people carry it's a everything. Long way. Yeah. So, so my buddy Mark and I did the most like genteel version of this where you actually pay somebody <laughs> to bring your suitcase to the BNB. <laughs> and so we would wake up and just, you know, have breakfast at the pub and then strike out, walk 13 miles, you know, get there in the afternoon. There's our bag waiting for us at the next end and we'd shower and eat at the pub. And Hey, that's my kind of hiking right there. Dude, it was, it was great. It was great. Like to yeah. have a pub at every yeah, stop I, I and to have, more with that. you know, the, your bag carried. So you just literally have your backpack with your journal in it or whatever. Uh, but it was incredible to like basically cross the Island of Britain. Like we ended at the sea. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was, awesome. it was amazing. So I've got the bug. I'll, I'm, I just, I, I got to figure out how do we bring that to the States, man? How do we, how do we convince the farmer? I, lo I love that walk? tangent. Yeah. I love that whole rant. Uh, oh, and I was feeling, I was feeling that because there are beautiful places in this state that, you know, we did, recently, Brian and I got to go and uh, we floated down the Tallapoosa river, which is mm. over in East, uh, East central East Alabama. And, it goes by Horseshoe Bend, where the Battle of Horseshoe Bend. There's a national park there. I didn't even know there was a national military park there. Wow. But where the Battle of Horseshoe Bend happened. And it's just tucked away, and I didn't even know it was there. And it was gorgeous, a gorgeous, gorgeous river. Um, just overhung wow. by all these sycamores and these huge trees, just walling it up all the way down. And wow. we, we had the most fun. But I, I didn't even know it was there, and it was beautiful. That's so cool. That just reminded me, I mean, the guys, this is probably 10 years ago, the band and I'll, we will sometimes pick up a hitchhiker, uh, when we're traveling and, uh, we picked up a guy in Southern Tennessee and, you know, it's always interesting to get, hear their story. And we were driving him toward Birmingham and uh, he wanted out of the car right when we crossed into Alabama. And there wasn't anything there really. He was just like, yep, this is where I went off. And I was like, what, what's here? And he was like, oh man, just south of the border, right through the woods over there, there's the most beautiful glade of trees and there's a waterfall and a lake. And, and that's, that's where I'm headed. And I was like, okay, awesome. Good luck, bro. And he hopped out of the car and traipsed off, you know, hopped the fence and walked into the woods basically. And I was like, there's this whole world that we don't get to see, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I love that story that I, at every interstate, you know, there's probably a whole you know, universe of, of uh, beauty that we don't even get to, to notice. So that's my, my if, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe we need to, to figure out a way to start the legislation to get the right to roam in the States. That will never happen. Yeah. <laughs> I know there, I, know I, there, I will say this though, Andrew, I, I, as a, one of the things I got into is uh, uh, road cycling and triathlon and there are areas where they have, they call them rails to trails programs where they take yes. old rail lines and, and they're paid for bike trip. And there's some really great ones yeah. around. Katie trails. Um, you so know, they Katie could, trail? they could, uh, no, Katie that a, trail goes from, uh, Kansas city to St. Louis oh, wow. straight across Missouri. Oh, that's awesome. 500 miles or 400 miles or something like that. And it's all on one of those rails to trails things. And now because people have been doing it, along the way all these little towns now have little like you know uh, cafes places have sprung up to help the traveler um and you end yeah, i think st charles which is where lewis and clark set out yeah yeah 
That's amazing. Cool. Yeah, Brian and I have ridden. There's one in North Alabama that goes from North Alabama all the way. I think it goes all the way to Atlanta because uh, it connects to the to the Silver Comet Trail. Um, uh, there. That's so the, cool. Yeah, so there there are some um, if you just know where to look, but there's not as obviously not as common. And you're right, like to to see that happen would be would be pretty rare. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, new creation. Well, Andrew, you're um, yeah. He's behold, he's making all things new. Yeah. Your your touring season is about to crank up with uh, Behold the Lamb of God. Not too far from whenever this podcast will air, it will be you know probably mid to late October. So it'd be um, be coming around the corner. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting to see you in um, in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, awesome. You, you've got a few stops in uh, in England, so uh, not to be confused. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. I'm we. I hated not getting to. I hated slash loved not getting to do the tour last year. Uh, it was the first time I've ever been home for Christmas. Um, I mean, for the season of Christmas, wow. just magical to be able to be with my wife. She, I mean, for since my children were born, I've done the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've right. never known a December where pops was around, you know, to kind of go do stuff with, you know, so it was really sweet last, last year, but also, man, I just, uh, I miss singing the gospel. Mm. When I finally started doing shows again, I realized how much I, I am edified by getting to tell other people about Jesus, you know, um, yes. not, not getting to do it for, in the way that I normally do, uh, was, I was like, oh man, I forgot how much I need this, uh, for my own spiritual life uh, is to get to be the one telling about it, you know? So I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I have, I had this one, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up on my desk here at the office um you mentioned in the book um there was a the documentary live godspeed right you talked about oh, yeah. that um um and so i years ago a, a good friend really good friend of mine travis buchanan had he was there at Hutchman, or when they re, they did the release mm-hmm. of that video yep. and he came back and he's a good close friend of mine and uh, you'd really like travis a lot he he did his phd work there at uh in saint andrews mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it was all about Lewis and, uh, Lewis and Tolkien. Anyway, he's a, he's a scholar, man, mm. but, uh, he turned me on to the Godspeed video years ago and I watched it. It was very impactful. Um, but there's a, there's this little note I keep on my, my desk and I just kind of bring this full circle. It was from uh, Eugene Peterson's, uh, his, one of his interviews on there and it says there is no place on earth without the potential for unearthing holiness. He says right where uh, we are uh, with these people that we are with. And so, it, man, I, I, I'm thankful for uh, thankful for your book. I'm excited for people to get a hold of it, to maybe encourage them that to look around. Like you said, that this state that we live in is beautiful. Tennessee is beautiful. Um, it's not, um, no place is more beautiful than the other. In fact, every place has the possibility, right, for unearthing holiness and for God to use. So I'm thankful for Thank, thank you for opening yourself up the way you did. I know that that's scary, but I'm here to tell you it was very encouraging for me, and I know it will be for others. And the Lord, I believe, will use uh, the God of the Garden uh, to resonate with more because not everybody is, you know, is going to write a song or write a book, you know. And, and but this one seems like it's going to spread much wider yeah. and tie everybody's story. It made me start to look around at trees again to, to go, man, how's my, how are my stories tied to trees? Right. Yeah. And uh, how did the Lord use those throughout my own life? So, man, I, I, I think it's a great job. 
thank you for taking time to do that. That's so encouraging. um, I know that Paul probably wouldn't have written his letters had he not been in prison. And you probably wouldn't have written this book had 2020 and the pandemic not hit. Right. Yeah. So So you slowed down. Yeah. Yeah. You slowed down long enough to, to write a beautiful book and uh, man, we're grateful for your time today and for that book. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Great talk to you. Yeah. Well, like uh, we always say, and I, and I hope your book does the same. We hope these conversations encourage people. We hope it challenges people to write their own stories, tell their own stories and share their own adventures in, in, uh, in the storied outdoors. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take some time to leave us a review or better yet, share it with a friend. We hope these stories encourage you, encourage you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors. Mm-hmm.